0: Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is Jesus and women. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I'm Pastor Amanda Zenzelow, and I serve as the pastor of Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon.
1: And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, so we are covering this. Given the current conversations around the Me Too experiences and the even newer hashtag, why I didn't report.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. And we are taking this particular tack today, talking about Jesus and women, inspired by a post on Facebook made by Jen Hatmaker, which we will link on our podcast page on our website. Yes, we will. And I talked about Jesus and women because partially we are both quite angry in our world today. We have feelings and they're rather strong. And so to talk specifically to these things... perhaps not going to get us anywhere helpful immediately. And we will say that we are in support of the people speaking out. Absolutely. That's where our anger comes from. Our anger comes from the need for people to share these stories. Great admiration for those who have the courage to be sharing their Me Too experience. Absolutely. The courage to share the Why I Didn't Report... And standing in solidarity alongside, I have my own Me Too story. I have my own Why I Didn't Report story. I will own that. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, to head down telling those kinds of stories right now, the emotions are so strong, it Mm -hmm. might not make a sensical podcast.
1: Mm -hmm. So instead, we applaud everyone for coming forward. And encourage it. Absolutely. As you
0: feel called.
1: And I'm loving the fact that it's bringing a bigger sense of community the same way when you start talking about some of these subjects that have heretofore been taboo, Mm -hmm. and they often are around women's issues, Mm -hmm. and I'm thinking of things like people who have had miscarriages and other such things where you just don't often talk about it because they're incredibly painful subjects, Mm -hmm. then they get lost and you forget that they happen, and the stories are important.
0: A lot of these women's traumatic issues, and I want to be clear that I understand that this is not only a women's issue. Yes. That this is, for many people, anyone who has a different power dynamic, whether yes. that's a child or someone who is trans or many queer people, mm-hmm. right, many people of color, the power dynamics of this are a big deal. Yes. And that is also part of what stokes the flames of rage right now. Mm-hmm. And- There are many, 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 many people in our country right now who are walking around one giant wound because every time you turn on the news or turn on the television or open your Facebook or go onto Twitter, all of this is being poked at right now. Mm -hmm. And people are really, really, really raw. And to ignore it completely and to stay silent on it, I feel would be disrespectful and inappropriate of me. I agree. And my own personal emotions are high enough. I'm not going to take this into my pulpit because it is more wound than scar Mm -hmm. in this moment. And I've talked before about how you can preach from your scars, but not from your wounds. Mm -hmm. So because of the common frequency with which this is coming up, we're taking it kind of like my story of my arrest, which was more wound than scar yet, Mm -hmm. then it is more important to not take that to the pulpit, but the podcast can work. Yep. But the way we're going to take this is we're going to talk about Jesus and his relationship with women. Mm -hmm. Because part of the challenge that we hear in the modern climate around abuse of women is this twisted theological take of a Christian undertone that minimizes and diminishes the voice of women. And in reading the Gospels and in looking at the relationship of Jesus with women, the silencing of women's voices, the disclaiming of them, the unbelieving them, the cutting out their merit, the way that we treat women's voices is completely a heretical twist of the Gospels themselves. Really? Because it is the opposite of what Jesus does to women and how Jesus treats women. Well, we should definitely delve into this then. So that's what we're going to do. Where would you like to start? Well... We can start with his relationship with his mom. That's a good one. (laughs) The first time we see Jesus and Mary interacting with Jesus as an adult, well, adult-ish, I will say we do have a glimpse of him at 12. You do. Being an impertinent, normal, (laughs) 12-year-old, right? Being 12. But there's certainly relationship there between he and his mother. Mm-hmm. But the next time you see the relationship between the two is when he turns water into wine. Mm-hmm. And it's his first miracle. And it's his mom who's saying, hey, they're out of wine. Do something about it. And he responds with, woman, it's not my time. And he's kind of disrespectful towards her. Mm-hmm. But what I love about this, I don't love that he's disrespectful towards his mom. Dude, sure. you're 30. Don't act like you're 16. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But what I appreciate about this is I kind of see it as this moment where this strong woman comes back at her kid and is like, no, they're out of wine. You're going to step it up. I know you have this ability. You know how you have this ability. She doesn't even respond to his disrespect of her. She just looks at the servant and says, go get the water. Do what he says. She doesn't even, like, give that credibility. Uh-huh. And Jesus totally steps forward and turns these hundreds of gallons of water into wine, right? The mm-hmm. best wine that anyone's ever had. And when I look at that, I almost see this kind of relationship between a parent and a child, an adult parent and child. I don't know. The disrespect, the woman, it's not my time. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do this. And Mary just responding, oh, really? <laughs> Come on, buddy. Come on, little boy. You're going to do this for me. You're going to give this wedding gift to my friends. And she just stands right up to him, no qualms, and he does it. Mm -hmm. And you'll see this pattern repeated in the scripture over and over again, where he responds with what would be expected of him by the culture, Mm -hmm. which is to ignore, to dissuade, to not give credibility to a voice of a woman. And then the woman comes back with her own strength and her own knowledge of his capacities and her own worth in receiving those gifts. And he follows through. Mm -hmm. He learns and he steps forward every time and reenters that relationship. So every time he's confronted with a woman who's strong enough to say, no, I deserve this. No, you should have been here. He follows through and treats her with the level of respect and value and admiration that I don't actually see in his relationship with men who stand up to him. Oh, interesting. I hadn't thought about it in comparison with the other. With the men, Mm -hmm. right? So it's not just these women have to stand up to him to get their needs met. Culturally, they do. And he is still a product of his time. Mm-hmm. Right, He's still a first century Palestinian male. He's not a liberated 21st century hipster. Metrosexual. <laughs> right, exactly. He's still a first century Palestinian male. There's no qualms about that. But when the women stand up for themselves, he meets them there every single time. Whereas most of the men end up going submissive or getting berated mm-hmm. or, you know, learning their lessons, so to speak. Interesting. Is this something that is across all Gospels or found more in one than another? Great question. I can give you an example probably from every single Gospel. Ooh, okay. Each Gospel has a different take on it, and each Gospel might have a particular instance where it's lifted up more than the others, but it's across all four Gospels. Well, and isn't there even
1: one that starts with the silencing of men? (laughs) from the beginning
0: yeah that's Luke okay I was remembering that correctly (laughs) yeah and Luke lifts up the voice of women really strongly throughout the entire entire gospel there are some scholars who suppose that the gospel writer of Luke may have actually been a woman because of the way in which the voice of the poor and the voice of women is lifted up so strongly throughout Luke okay well what are some other relationships then that stand out to you a couple of them for me that I particularly hold on to and that I find fascinating. And one is that relationship with his mother. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that relationship has depth and difficulties in the later years that we may or may not even really know about, which is understandable. I mean, oh, her absolutely. Her son is heading off on a suicide mission. hmm Right. And so any mother is probably going to be kind of upset about that. hmm Have some words. But another relationship is with the woman at the well in the Gospel of John. Okay. Chapter 4. So the Orthodox call her Saint Fotini. She is not named in our Gospel. Okay. And she's just the woman at the well at high noon. And this is one of those situations where Jesus comes across this woman at a well at noon. The other disciples have left. And he begins to have interaction with her. And this is a situation where... In the Hebrew scriptures, a man meeting a woman at a well is where lots of marriage arrangements happen. I was going to say, you're
1: going to tell me there's some cultural context to this. That Huge cultural today context. Today, we would not have put on that.
0: Yeah. It's like if a... Uh, it's, it's like, like the if local you go bar. to a bar? Yeah. It's the okay. local bar. Okay. And here, this woman has come to the local bar when no one should be there. Okay. For whatever reason... She's there when nobody else should be there. She won't have to worry about being seen. She won't have to worry about interacting with people. And here's this guy. They're alone at this well. And she brings it up. He starts to talk to her and says, get me a drink. And she she knows she shouldn't be talked to because he's a man and she's a woman and it's first century Palestine. So they shouldn't be talking. Mm -hmm. So the minute that he starts to talk to her, it's coming off like he's coming on to her. Mm Mm-hmm. And she brings it up. This is the well where our forebearers met and began their courting. No, why are you asking this of me? I'm not the kind of person you should be asking this of. And then he responds and continues the conversation. And she bashes back with, okay, fine. You think you're all that in a bag of chips? But I'm going to dig into this. So who's right about our theological constructs? And she takes it to this like huge level of intellectual debate on mm-hmm. the base levels of their theological understandings of salvation. And Jesus meets her right there and twists things away from courting and away from those kinds of pieces to being about salvation and hope. He calls her out. He sees who she is. But not in a way to shame her as someone who has had a multitude of relationships. This is the woman who has had many husbands and is not married to the man with whom she is now living. Okay. But he doesn't do it to shame her. He does this in a way that shows her that he sees her. And she begins to engage and begins to have hope that there's a different way that this man could be the Messiah who changes everything. And immediately she leaves her pitcher there, doesn't get her water, and runs to the town and she becomes the first evangelist, the first one to tell the story of Jesus. And she brings the entire town and then he goes and he stays at the town and people come to believe that he is the Messiah Mm -hmm. because of the way she has interacted with him and because of then what they have seen by believing her. And so he gives validation he enters into a relationship, he sees her, and although it's in a situation that is absolutely sexually charged, that's not where it goes. Mm-hmm. So she stands out as a way that we see Jesus interacting completely counterculturally, to what would be expected of him. And what becomes of that is that we have our first evangelist being a woman. That's fascinating. So another one is this moment in Mark chapter 7 where Jesus is approached by a Syrophoenician woman and asks for the healing of her daughter. This just came up in our lectionary a couple of weeks ago in church. And Wait, she asks him or he asks her? She asks him. She comes to Jesus. He's trying to like take a break mm-hmm. and hide and not be seen for a little while. Okay. And she hears about him and she shows up and she asks for healing for her daughter. And he says, should I give the dogs what is meant for other people basically he calls her a dog Uh which again a reminder jesus is still a first century palestinian Uh human man as much as he is fully divine and you see again this woman who stands up to him and says even the dogs eat what comes from the scraps of the table i am worthy and my daughter is worthy and you know that we are And whatever it is about you right now in this moment that is trying to limit God's grace that can come through you, you better knock that off, Mm -hmm. young man, because my daughter needs healing. And his response is to say, because of what you've said, go, your daughter is healed. Your faith has made her well. He doesn't further dismiss her. He doesn't further silence her. He doesn't negate her. He doesn't berate her for daring to ask for help for her daughter or say that her daughter is unworthy of healing because she's just a girl and really doesn't matter in this world. Instead, as soon as she counters and stands up to him, he sees that fire, he sees that and responds by healing the child and giving value to them. And that is the moment in Mark's gospel where the message breaks open to being more than just for the Jewish population. Mm. It becomes for everyone. For everyone. Mm -hmm. And similar with Fatini and this woman at the well, because it's in an area where the people should not, I'm putting air quotes, you Mm -hmm. can't see that because we're on just voice podcast, but it's not just for the Jewish people anymore. It's broken open and for everyone. The limitations are not just for good Jewish men. These are breaking open moments of grace. Another way in which we see how Jesus interacts with women in our scriptures is his best friends. Like not his disciples, not his congregation. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are men. And we hear about Mary Magdalene and we know she's more important, but Mm -hmm. she's been silenced through the generations. But we know that his best friends, where he goes for renewal, where he goes to refresh himself is with Mary and Martha of Bethany. This is Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Uh-huh. And it's their brother who ends up dying. But that's his respite. That's his home family. That's where he goes, like his chosen family. Uh-huh. I think it would be awfully hard to be the brother or sister of the Messiah, right? So I have a feeling the home life. <laughs> yeah, that would be nearly impossible. Right. It wasn't so great in the years of his public ministry. Mm-hmm. And where he would go to rest and not be responsible and not do healings and those kinds of things was to Mary and Martha of Bethany's. And we see this relationship between Jesus and Mary and Martha that, again, is extremely unique if we think of what it should be in first century Palestine. Not only is he having a conversation of equals between himself and Martha when they argue about what Mary is doing or where he's been or their conversations together— but you have Mary coming and sitting at his feet as an equal among the men to learn. Mm-hmm. And he upholds it. He doesn't say go away. He doesn't only not say go away. Uh-huh. When Martha gets pissed off about it because she's not helping me with the dishes or prepping the food, he defends her and says she's chosen the better path. Uh huh. Right? So not only does he not tell her to go off and do what she should be doing in the kitchen, But he reminds Martha that maybe it's okay to not be doing what she's doing in the kitchen. That it's okay to be a part of this that's supposed to just be a man's world.
1: I'm looking at 1950s America going, that one was pushed hard too. (laughs) So the end point of this whole Mary and Martha is they're the ones that call him out for not being there for Lazarus, right? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, they contact him when Lazarus is sick. Mm -hmm. And he lollygags. He doesn't show up right away. And by the time they get there, Lazarus has died Uh three days before. And again, it shows this kind of relationship of where women standing up to him and he responds. Uh Because Mary meets him on the road and says, where were you? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mm -hmm. You didn't show up when we asked for you. And he continues on and Martha comes out, same thing. Where were you? We asked you to show up. And if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And seeing their mourning, Jesus weeps. And that's a big thing in and Mm -hmm. of itself. Like we could probably Mm -hmm. do a whole podcast on Jesus wept, right? Mm Because that's really powerful. But in this instance, he sees their grief and he has been admonished. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he knows what he can do. And they go to the burial site and he raises Lazarus from the dead. And that marks a turning point in the Gospel of John, because then the religious authorities are not only going after Jesus, they go after Lazarus, because Lazarus is now a symbol of Jesus's power. Sure. Well, he's an accomplice. And they need to kill Lazarus. Poor Lazarus. He's has to die again. <laughs> right. So, I mean, there's lots of legends and myths, and we never hear exactly what happens other than the authorities were watching Lazarus, because he was now a symbol mm-hmm. of the power of Christ. But... This relationship, again, when the women stand up, when the women raise their voice, when they say, we were relying on you to show up. He doesn't say, well, you know, it's just the way life is and I'm here to weep with you because I loved him too. When they call and say, you have the power and the capacity to fix this. He goes and he changes the rules of mortality. Mm Mm-hmm. For them, And I think that in our modern context, we have become so obsessed with trying to silence women or those with traditionally less power, that when those in that situation speak up, we just try harder to silence them. The example of Christ is to listen and to move heaven and earth to meet their needs. It's not to tell them you're wrong, you shouldn't be believed. The response of Christ is to shift the fabric of reality and turn water into wine. The response of Christ is to raise a brother from the dead. The response of Christ is to open the hearts of an entire town who shouldn't have believed him. It's not to further shame. It's to heal the child. So when we are in these times and when we are hearing these painful stories and when we are being confronted with the shame of inaction on Mm -hmm. our part, and when someone comes to tell you a story that you have the authority to make a change in order to fix the situation or to make it different... To silence them further, to dismiss them, to berate them is exactly the opposite of what our faith shows us Jesus does. Instead, Jesus changes the way the world works to give truth and honor their statement. And so that is my response to what is happening in our current culture and in our current news cycle is to call those of us who have any kind of capacity to change the story to do what Jesus would do, to listen and give credibility and use everything in our capacity to change how this world is working for them.
1: Well, you essentially just answered what was going to be my last question of how do we take what is in the scripture, and translate it to what we have today.
0: And specifically, I'll give some tips in saying, one, it means listening. Mm-hmm. And particularly if you are, I'm going to call it out, if you are a white, cis, heterosexual male in our culture today, probably the most important thing you can do is shut up and listen. And I say that semi-lovingly. Sure. In that, if you're listening to this, you probably have some kind of respect for me if you fit into that demographic, which I appreciate. And encouraging those with the most power within our culture to let go of some of that and listen to the stories and give credibility to it and don't talk back to it right now. Don't tell someone how they should or shouldn't feel or react. Listen, Mm -hmm. and if you feel shame, I have a feeling there were a couple of times in here where Jesus felt some shame. Right? I bet his mama had every capacity to push every button in that young man's body to turn him into a puddle of shame Mm -hmm. in that moment. I don't know any Jewish mother who doesn't have the capacity to do that, (laughs) and I'm not trying to like make a stereotype, I'm just saying Mary was a strong Jewish mother. And she had the capacity to know her boy. And I have no doubt he felt shame in that moment of turning the water into wine. And you know what? That's okay. You can feel that. You just learn to handle it Mm -hmm. and find your way through. Because if we can find our way through that together, if we can really listen to each other, if we can really work together and build community, then we build capacity to change. And then we build capacity to change our entire community and our world. So that's what I would say is the next greatest step. And for the women and the minorities out there, learning how to find your voice and learning how to stand strong and know your worth and your value, enough to tell your story and to demand what God knows is your right. That takes time and it takes courage. And it takes an incredible community, and it takes people you trust. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. Not even don't, remotely. And people don't owe anyone their story, right? So you don't have to tell your story if you don't want to tell your story. You don't owe anyone that. If you feel called to, then go for
1: it. Excellent. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about Jesus and women. I look forward to sitting down with you another
0: week on another topic. As do I. And I would like to lift up two particular books that in my research of my doctorate fed a lot of what I talked about in this podcast. We will link them on our website. Absolutely. One of them is called Peter, Paul, and Mary Magdalene, The Followers of Jesus in History and Lesson. And another is called Dancing Girls, Loose Ladies, and Women of the Cloth, The Women in Jesus's Life. These are two fantastic books, and they've been written within our century. And I commend them to those who would like to hear more about this kind of relationship Jesus had with women. Until we are back in your ears again, we would love to hear from you. You can reach out to us on Facebook or send an email to podcast at centralportland.org. Remember, God loves you no matter what.